Chapter Five of Bullets and Billets by Bruce Bairn's Father. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five, My Man Friday, Chuck us the biscuits, relieved. Billets. It was during this first time up in the trenches that I got a soldier servant, as I had arrived only just in time to go with the battalion to the trenches. The acquisition had to be made by a search in the mud. I found a fellow who hadn't been an officer's servant before, but who wanted to be. I liked the look of him, so feeling rather like Robinson Crusoe when he booked up Friday, I got me a man. He lived in a dugout about five yards away, and from then onwards continued with me right to the point where this book finishes. This fellow of mine did all my cooking, such as it was, and worked in conjunction with my friend the platoon commander's servant cooking at the times I write about consisted of making innumerable brews of tea and opening tins of bully and macanachi. Occasionally bacon had to be fried in a mess tin lid. One day my man soared off into culinary fancies and curried a macanachi. I have never quite forgiven him for this. I am nearly right again now. These two soldier servants never had to leave the trench. It was their job to try and find something to make a fire with, and to do all they could to keep the water out of our dugout, a task which not one of us succeeded in doing. My plan for sustaining life under these conditions was to change my boots as often as possible. If there wasn't time for this, I used to try and boil the water in my boots by keeping my feet to the fire bucket. I always put my puttees on first, and then a pair of thick socks, and finally a pair of boots. I could by this means hurriedly slip off the sodden pair of boots and socks and slip on another set which had become fairly dry by the fire. We live perpetually damp, if not thoroughly wet. My puttees, which I rarely removed, were more like long rolls of the consistency of nougat than anything else, thanks to the mud. Dugouts had no wooden linings in those days, no corrugated iron roofs, no floorboards. They were just holes in the clay side of the fire trench, with any old thing for a roof, an old straw or tobacco leaves, which we pinched from some abandoned farm, for a floor. So you see there was not much of a chance of dodging the moisture. The cold was what got me. Personally I would far rather have gone without food than a fire. A fire of some sort was the only thing to cheer. Coke was scarce and always wet, and it was by no means uncommon to overhear a remark of this sort. Chuck us the biscuits, Bill, the fire wants mending. At night I would frequently sally forth to a cracked-up village behind, and perhaps procure half a mantelpiece and an old clog to stoke our furnace with. Well, after the usual number of long days and still longer nights spent under these conditions, we came to the day when it was our turn to go out to rest billets and a relieving battalion to come in. What a splendid day that is! You start packing at about 4 p.m., as soon as it is dusk, the servants slink off across the turnip morass behind and drag our few belongings back to where the limbers are. These limbers have come up from about three to four miles away from the regimental transport headquarters to take all the trench props back to the billets. We don't leave ourselves until the incoming battalion has taken over. After what seems an interminable wait, we hear a clinking of mess tins and rattling of equipment, the sloshing of feet in the mud and much whispered profanity which all goes to announce to you that they're here. Then you know that the other battalion has arrived and are now about to take over these precious slots in the ground. When the exchange is complete we are free to go, 
to go out for our few days in billets. The actual going out and getting clear of the trenches takes a long time. Handing over and finally extricating ourselves from the morass in the dark with all our belongings is a lengthy process. And then we have about a mile of country which we have never been able to examine in the daytime and get familiar with to negotiate. This is before we get to the high road and really start for billets. I had the different machine gun sections to collect from their various guns, and this is not until the relieving sections had all turned up. It was a good two hours job getting all the sections with their guns, ammunition, and various extras finally collected together in the dark a mile back, ready to put all the stuff in the limbers and so back to billets. When all was fixed up I gave the order and off we started, plodding along back down the narrow, dreary road towards our resting place. But it was quite a cheerful tramp, knowing as we did that we were going to four days comparative rest, and, anyway, safety. On we went, down the long, flat, narrow roads, occasionally looking round to see the faint flicker of a star-shell showing over the tops of the trees, and to think momentarily of the poor devils left behind to take our place and go on doing just what we had been at. Then finally getting far enough away to forget, songs and jokes took us chirping along past objects which soon became our landmarks in the days to come. On we went, past estaminets, shrines, and occasional windmills down the long winding road for about four miles until at last we reached our billets, where the battalion willingly halted and dispersed to its various quarters. I and my machine-gun section had still to carry on, for we lived apart, a bit further on at the transport farm. So we continued on our own for another mile and a half, past the estaminet at Romera, out on towards Neuvigliese to our transport farm. This was the usual red-tiled Belgian farm with a rectangular smell in the middle. End of chapter 5 Recording by Philip Gould